The Donut Bag is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Your data is your business. Protect it with ExpressVPN for three extra months free with a one-year package. Go to the link listed in my Twitter profile. So when I asked you to come on last week, it was just going to be to talk about, hey, what do you think about Malkin and Latang coming back? Because that's, <laughs> that's, you know, that's probably the only thing that was going to happen. And then the weekend happened and all kinds of stuff happened. Angie Ron Carducci. Hextall hi. Gets, uh, Ron Hextall gets uh, taken over by the spirit of Jim Rutherford for a weekend. I, yes, my goodness. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? So, so let's start with the, the Malkin and, and Latang thing. Uh, they bring back Malkin and Latang. What were your thoughts on that? Did you, did you like that, that, that they were, that they came back? Yeah. So for, as far as Latang, I felt like he had to absolutely be their first priority. I just feel like he is an irreplaceable player. I don't know who you were going to have substitute those minutes and that type of play that Chris Latang brings. Uh, and, and really just his age doesn't matter to me when you see how he conditions and the the shape that he's in, the minutes he's able to log per night. Uh, I, I just look at his age as largely irrelevant. And the deal he was asking for, the length of years he was asking for, I, I found that to be perfectly reasonable for a player in Chris Latang's condition. And uh, just really felt like, you know, give the man what he's asking for. If you can get him back, if he wants to come back, because I really, really felt through much of the season like he might want to go to Montreal. Um, but if he wanted to come back, I, I felt like he had to prioritize that. So I was thrilled to see them uh, bring him back. And then, uh, and then they had Malkin to deal with. And, you know, at that point, it just felt like, okay, he, maybe he's going to walk. But, um, but at the price they were able to get was hanging at, uh, I, I thought he was going to command a bigger number than that as far as his, uh, his annual value and his cap hit. So it seemed like it freed up the money that maybe you could get Malkin back. And, and then the uh, and then the whole debacle started to happen. And, and I, I really uh, started to wonder if that relationship could be salvaged. So um was very happy to see it happen. And I, I think it would have been a, a rotten shame if that relationship between team and player had ended the way it was playing out there for a minute. Um, I also think that there wasn't really a... a number two center option on the free agent market that was going to serve you better than Evgeny Malkin and come in at similar years and price. And, you know, for people that were clamoring for someone like Vincent Trocheck, look at the years that he got from the Rangers. I just don't know that you wanted to do that. So I think it was a perfectly reasonable deal and just, just was happy to see it play out like it did in the end. Yeah, whether well, whether you agree with the idea of bringing Malkin or back or not, um, Hextall executed it perfectly. If you said at the end of the season, uh, Let, Rust, Latang, Malkin, and <laughs> Ricard Raquel are all coming back, you, you would have yeah. said, "Wow, that's crazy." So, Never imagined that. And for, I mean, he he got those those players all in at the dollars that made it work. And I I never saw that coming. Like we all thought this was going to be this incredibly seismic offseason, which which it seems like in some ways it's shaping up to be, but um, not in the ways we thought. So we really thought 
those players were largely going to uh, to be walking out of here, and uh, and here they bring them all back. So I, I was really surprised. And I don't blame Malkin. You know, they they you know people are saying, "Oh, Malkin's too emotional. He's getting emotions in the way." It's like, well, first of all, this is a huge decision, and second of all, I don't blame him for being thought of as you know, third or fourth priority. Cause it kind of, you know, it, it <laughs> kind of seemed that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, he kind of was, I mean, he had a way around for those other signings and, and to see how those played out and what money they had left. So when you have reports that he was texting back to players, you know, uh, you know, well, I don't know if they think I'm any good anymore. I, I completely believe that. Yeah. I think he was really doubting whether the team wanted him and, and what his value to the team was. And, and that had to really hurt. Um, you know, you, you can make fun of him being emotional all you want. And I know he's always been known as a very emotional player, um, which, which is one of, to me, one of the things that makes him great. Um, and also one of the things that makes him take bad penalties, but also <laughs> makes him great. Um, you know, so, um, but, but he really, I don't blame him at all for being emotional about that because think of the, years of service he has with this organization and really i mean he has left money on the table and and made more team-friendly deals than he might have with other teams over the years he you know he's played on one leg in the playoffs for this team with the idea that 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 story about mario lemieux telling him he'd be taken care of after playing on one leg in the playoffs really really hit me like imagine that and then Fenway Sports Group comes in and buys the team, and all of a sudden, maybe you're not going to get taken care of after all. Like, right. it, it was right. all awful. Uh, I, it had to feel awful if you were Malkin. I, I absolutely think he had every reason to feel the way he did. They also signed Raquel, which to me was a complete shock. I thought for sure he was gone. Uh, yeah, six years. Are, are you? Do you, do you think that was a good idea? Do you do you think uh, bringing him back was good? That's a long deal. Um, I think people are you know cringing a little at that term. I, I think it's one of those things like you know I remember Jim Rutherford once saying about some contract. I, I forget whose contract it was, uh, but he said if you want the player you know, sometimes you have to, you have to make that deal. You have to give them the years. You have to, you have to do what you have to do to get the player. And I think in this case, that's probably exactly right. If you decide that Ricardo Kell is a player that fits on your team, you like what he showed you last year. You like how he fits with either of the top two lines. I know some people didn't like the way he um, seemed to mesh with Danny Malkin and prefer him on Sidney Crosby's line. And, you know, I think he can play on either. But if, if you like him on Crosby's line better, then fine. Brian Rust has played great with Danny Malkin. So maybe you put him on that line instead. But um, I, I think he's a player that's shown he, he can be pretty versatile in the top six. Uh, obviously, that's a player they just didn't want to see walk and decided if they wanted him back, they had to give him the term. So, um, I, I don't fault them for it. I think uh, there's a reason they call free agency silly season. And, and I think the deals we saw get signed once free agency opened uh, speak to that. So it, if he went to the open market, you were going to lose him if you didn't give him a deal that, way, you know, that, that spoke to what he thought he could get by going there. So you want to prevent him from walking, do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, 
And that's the thing, even, even with rust, when he resigned, it seems like all of those players, Malcolm Latang, rust and Raquel could have made more if they went on the open markets, but they chose to stay here. So that, that says a lot. It does. And I, I think that rust in particular, I think really left some money on the table. I think he could have really made a lot more money. I think Latang could have made a lot more money too. I think, I think a team like the Canadians would have been happy to throw like eight, nine million dollars at Chris Latang oh, for a year. Totally. Oh, you know, my like, could you imagine, like, even just as a sort of, I know they have, still have Carey Price, but um, imagine bringing in Chris Latang as a sort of face of the franchise and um, putting him up there as, you know, as far as your advertisements and, and the endorsements he could get. I it just, I, that would be an absolute bonanza for a team like that. I think he left a fair amount of money on the table to speak to, uh, to stay with Pittsburgh. And I think that really speaks to how they feel about the organization and then, and honestly, how they feel about their chance. You know, people say things like, Oh, well, you know, congratulations. You got the core back. Enjoy watching them. Other teams will enjoy winning. And, you know, well, I, I don't think these guys feel like that because I think these guys want to win and I don't think they would resign if they didn't feel the team had a real chance. Yeah. You know, yeah. When you hear, Oh, they, they're, they're too old, old teams never win championships. It's like, well, that, that really <laughs> rules are made to be broken. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, these are, these are some elite players that will be on that older side of, you know, the age spectrum and, you know, who knows, maybe they find a way to balance it out with some younger players. There have been examples of them doing that in the past. I think their prospect system was stronger when they've done that in the past. So maybe you have to find those players from the outside. Um, maybe a couple of the players they just acquired will end up making uh, making runs for those spots and making those impacts. But um, maybe there has to be a little balance there in terms of the age dynamic. But, um, you know, I, I think there's a difference between how elite players age and how non-elite players age. You have some pretty elite players here. It's going to be very interesting. Um, you, you know, there was that debate of, you know, why are you bringing the same team back that lost four first round exits in a row. And the, the thinking the other way is, well, yeah, but we didn't have our goaltender was hurt uh, this past year, the, the year before that, the, the goaltender just had a meltdown and then they're like, <laughs> okay, you know, those or are those excuses or are those legit? And it's like, I mean, they would have beat the Rangers if, if uh, Jari was okay. So, you know, absolutely. The, it's or, or even perhaps if Casey DeSmith was okay. I mean, I, yeah. you know, really, yeah. you have a legitimate goaltender in there for most of the series who's not an AHL goaltender. I, I think when you look at the series and see that they lost by, you know, a single goal in a game seven, I, I, I have a hard time not believing that if you're not playing your third string AHL goalie throughout most of the series that you, you can't make up that difference. <laughs> so exactly. Yeah, it's not really fair. It's not really fair to judge that, in my opinion. Exactly. Then on Saturday, all heck breaks loose. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, first, there was a trade of um, Marino to New Jersey for... Now I can't find who it was. Um, that was Ty Smith. 
Ty Smith and a draft pick, basically, which mm-hmm. was which is basically, I mean, I I don't know where Ty Smith, you know, plays in this thing. He, he kind of seems like another version of Marino, but much, much cheaper. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very fair. And he's a former first round draft pick and really just uh, came into the league pretty quickly. Um, it was an all rookie team uh, member. And I, I just think uh, came in with a lot of promise his first year and his second year seems like his development stalled out a little bit. And, you know, on a team like New Jersey, that's a rebuilding team, maybe with a guy like that, there's a little more responsibility. They were looking for him to have a little earlier. Whereas with the Penguins, you have a team that can afford to give him the time to develop properly. And uh, I, I think they are willing to take a chance on that. And uh, Ron Hextall said, you know, we're, we're taking a little bit of a risk on this guy, but we think it's worth it. And uh, I think absolutely he's a player that could develop into a really um, strong defenseman for them. He's, you know, I think 22 years old and just has a, has a lot of time ahead of him to make that development. And, and Pittsburgh is very much known for, with, with Todd Reardon in particular, for being able to develop those defensive prospects. So I definitely like his chances of developing in the system. And also like the, uh, like the draft pick ad too, because I, I feel like you kind of added, you added the 2023 draft pick and you also kind of made up for some past draft picks that perhaps you, you know, by, by acquiring a guy like Smith, you kind of make up for some of those past draft picks that you've left on the table the years that you've just been chasing, you know, winning at the expense of not drafting. So, uh, so I really like how they're uh, maybe adding to the system a little bit. With Marino, was it just a case of he had one good year and really cashed in on that and then it just hasn't worked out since? Yeah, it's a shame. I, I really was disappointed in the way that he did not um, proceed to develop with the Penguins. And one thing that you hear a lot about Sean Marino is that the organization would have liked to see him develop a little more of a nasty edge and, and he really didn't. Um, he, he just was kind of becoming known as, you know, okay, he has good offensive upside. He, he's a player that handles the puck. Well, not really any edge to his game, get pushed around a lot in front of the net. That's something the Penguins kept hearing about their defense in general. And that's something both of these moves this weekend were largely intended to address. So um, I think, you know, John Marino leaves and, and uh, you know, when we get to talking about the other trade, I think, uh, you know, you, you pretty directly have a, a direct uh, Marino for Jeff Petrie replacement um, is, is what happens there and um, immediately just, just bulks up that defense. And, and that's what they're looking to do. They've been talking about getting heavier and becoming a heavier team to play against. That's what they're trying to accomplish. Many times, I think we have noticed John Marino being one of those sort of leaner guys who doesn't really throw his weight around and maybe gets pushed around a little bit. So I think that's uh, that's what went wrong for him. And wasn't really contributing a lot of offense this past year either. Exactly. You could put up with the getting pushed around thing if he contributes offensively, but he, he didn't. So one yeah. goal. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's just <laughs> was, that. I think it was twenty five points, twenty four points, but one goal. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, you just you just need more um, from a player like that. So if if he's going to be uh, all about his offensive upside at the expense of the uh, physicality, you you need the offensive upside for sure. Yep. Then the other trade they trade Mike Matheson to Montreal for uh, Ryan Poling and Jeff Petrie. Wow. Uh, losing Matheson kind of hurts. I mean, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I hate, hate losing him. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, hopefully Petrie does well, but um, I, I, I think uh, I, I just really didn't see the Matheson move coming. I, he had such a great year last year and I really felt like was, was rounding into um the better side of his game as opposed to the side of his game the year before that, where everything felt like a little bit of an adventure. Um, you know, he just really was becoming more, more responsible, making better decisions with the puck. Um, more often you were seeing him make a positive impact on the game than, than those sort of gaffes that he was known for early in his Pittsburgh career and uh, just just really liked how his game was developing. So if the Canadians got that player, if he's going to continue to be that player, um, I, I think he'll have a little harder of a time continuing to be that player in Montreal because I think the uh, Canadians are not as good of a team and he, he might uh, be hung out to dry a little more often. But um, if they get a player anywhere close to that, they, they are really getting a good acquisition and they get jeff petrie who is a little bit older but he's bigger and i guess tougher but i i don't i mean i i i'm not sure i i'm not sure is he's you know i know i know they're looking for bigger and meaner and stuff like that but is is that him yeah, I mean, that's, that's his reputation. His reputation is definitely that he is going to be a little more of a, of a force in front of the net. He's going to be a little tougher to play against, a little more of an edge to his game. And he is also a, a player who's been trusted in all situations. Um, I've heard from Canadian fans who uh, do not like him on the power play and um, you know feel that the Penguins would be well advised not to use him there. They don't really like how, how he plays off the rush. So um, I'm not sure if that's in the Penguins' plans or not, but, um, but at least at even strength and on the penalty kill, um, hopefully will be, will be a good acquisition for them. And uh, again, to the point of getting heavier, I just think uh, he's pretty much going to directly swap out with where Marina was in the lineup. I think he will probably pair with Marcus Pedersen if Pedersen remains here um, with as many NHL caliber defensemen as they currently have on the roster. I don't know that we can consider that a foregone conclusion, but um, that's how I see that pairing shaking out. And uh, just just think it's sort of ticking the boxes of what the Penguins think they were looking for and where they think they were getting beat. Yeah. They started off, you know, before these trades, having a lot of defensemen, and now they end up still having a lot of defensemen. <laughs> so. They have the same number of defensemen. They have, they have nine. You know, it's funny because Ron Hexel said, "When okay, we have nine NHL caliber defensemen. I think it's fair to say we've got to move some, like at least <laughs> one, maybe two. And then after the trades, 
somebody says, you, you still have all these defensemen. Do you think somebody else is going to have to move? And he says, I wouldn't say that. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm not sure what changed. Um, so I, I have no idea. And then uh, no idea what's going on there. But I would think, you know, when you are this close to the salary cap, I, they are currently salary cap compliant, um, which they were not. So um, so that, that's a plus. But um, at this point, I, I just really feel they, they have other things they need to address, particularly I think their bottom six is currently in, in really poor shape. Um, they do have a couple of players from that bottom six they are set to lose in free agency unless something changes there. So uh, I, I think they've gotten worse from that perspective and they, they really need to uh, figure out what they're going to do there. I, I saw um, this morning um, that uh, I, I saw on Chris Mack's show, he mentioned that he asked uh, Hextall what he's planning to do uh, about the bottom six and he uh, brought up almost immediately, well, you know, um, a, a player that we acquired, um, like Josh Archibald, and I, I thought, oh, he didn't, he didn't say that. Like I, here I am thinking maybe Archibald could be like in the AHL this year, um, or you know, uh, or maybe he could just be a spare forward that just dresses on occasion when they when they have an injury. But um, if if he's in your uh, if he's penciled into your bottom six on an every night basis, I, I don't, I don't know that that's good enough. I, I just don't, I, I think you have, if, if he's penciled into your bottom six every night, I think you have significantly downgraded from last season. So at this point uh, they have needs to address and, and one of those defensemen might need to go. Well, as it stands right now, I think there could be a bottom six of um, Jeff Carter Kapanen and Drew O'Connor on the third line. And I think Blug that's fair. Yeah. And Bluger, Brock McGinn, and maybe Ryan Poling on the fourth line. Yeah. I think that probably at this point is about how I see it shaking out. And you have other options too. You could call up, you know, Redeem Zohorna is still out there. You know, I mean, you have other options you could call up. I, I really want to see Drew O'Connor make this team full time this year. I, I think that would be fantastic if he can stick and, and he really showed a lot of potential last year I liked every time he, he was up with the team what he showed and um, I would like to see you know as far as the defense there's sort of a, a, a question mark I think on the the last uh, the last pair on the left side as far as who makes that spot and it's not because they don't have enough it's just kind of who who's the one that get the spot and uh, that could be Mark Friedman who I think has been really reliable in that spot or it could be Pio Joseph who this year really has to make a club um, because he is not waiver eligible anymore um, so that could be where some of that youth comes in but um, yeah I think Ryan Paling has a chance of, of making that fourth line and uh, he's another player who comes in with a high pedigree he was a uh, another first round draft pick who came out sort of like gangbusters in his first year with his new team, actually his first game with his, his new team in Montreal. He uh, had a hat trick. I want to say he had a hat trick and the overtime game winner, or wow. maybe the hat trick included the overtime game winner, one of those in his first game. And it was like, okay, we've got a superstar. And then he just very quickly fizzled out, no more production. He gets sent to the AHL. He, he did well in the AHL gets called back up, but just could never really make, make himself stick in the, uh, 
in the, in their main lineup. So uh, another player that I think could benefit from a uh, from a new start somewhere else. And uh, you know, another example of, of Rod Hextall sort of building this organization with a prospect pool that uh, it didn't really have. So if players like uh, Kaling and Smith could pan out, that would be uh, some nice additions from years that you know, 2017 and 2018, where the Penguins weren't really very focused on uh, on the draft and were much more focused on win now and trade away pieces. Yeah, they definitely need the depth. Um, but the really frustrating thing is, you know, you mentioned P.O. Joseph and Zahorna. It seems like Sullivan really does not want to play younger players I don't know. Is it a case of they're not good enough or ready or that he just doesn't want to play them? I mean, at some point, why don't you, why don't you give them some experience in in the, in the NHL and and let them figure it out? Yeah, I think it's hard. He's in a tough spot because I I agree with you and I I would love to see those players get the opportunity. I I think they eventually they have to, but um, unfortunately he is, you know, much like the organization has been in this win now mode, the coach is obviously in that same mindset. So I think that's why sometimes instead of seeing a player like, like a P.O. Joseph end up in that third defensive pairing, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if it's Mark Friedman that ends up in that spot. Like, okay, we'll take the slightly more experienced guy that we feel is a little more reliable. Um, Maybe Joseph is the flashier prospect and maybe, you know, has a little more potential upside, but we're just a little more nervous about what he could potentially be on the downside. So we are going to give it to the guy that we feel is steadier. Um, and I think that's really the trade-off you sometimes make when you're in that win-now mode. So um, Sullivan, I, I think, is not immune to it. And uh, I think that's why you see those lineup decisions sometimes. But um, it, it's not lost on me either that some years that they have had success, you've seen those infusions of talent from the call-ups. So, and, and Mike Sullivan, having been an AHL coach, knows that as well as anybody. So hopefully... Uh, Hopefully we see some of these players make their case coming right out of camp and they make such strong cases. It's really hard to turn them down. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they're just going to have to show it in camp and they're just going to show, um, you know, you know, they had just had that rookie camp or, or something um, yeah. recently and uh, apparently no, nobody really showed much. So yeah, I guess, I guess just, just, just show it, show it when you have a chance, even if it's in, in training camp or practice or whatever. Um, yep. Something we didn't mention is Jan Ruta, who they got uh, yeah. in free agency from Tampa. Uh, I don't know much about him, but he was from, it, it sounded like he played alongside uh headman. So he, he can't be that bad. Yeah, he did. And I think when you're trusted alongside a player like that, that says a lot for you. And uh, again, another bigger body, you know, he's got, I think he's 6'3 and over 200 pounds. So um, once again, we get a player who's noted for being uh, that, that heavier, harder to play against defenseman. Uh, he, he's definitely a player who will get himself in front of the net and move people out. So uh, move pucks out. So we, um, Penguins haven't had that type of player in a while. And I think uh, they really doubled down on that over the course of between free agency and going into these trades this past weekend. It, it seems like a very clear 
refrain that they identified of, of what they thought was missing. And, um, you know, he's a two-time Stanley Cup winner with Tampa. He brings that uh, that experience and leadership too. And I just think uh, the league often, to me, goes through these cycles of we're in a speed skill dynamic at this time, or we're in a sort of heavier NHL at this time. What's what's finding success? And it's clear to me the Penguins have decided, okay, we need to play in a slightly heavier NHL. We need to play a slightly heavier game to find success. So when I look at you know, Bruda and I look at Jeff Petrie, they, these to me are the types of players that the Penguins felt they were missing and uh, kind of similar refrain of what they're going to be able to do for the, the team if they work out. It's funnier that we, I, I, I think they've said from, from day one when Hextall and Burke came on that, you know, we need to get bigger and we need to get tougher and everyone assumed, okay, that's going to be the forwards, right? You're going to get bigger, <laughs> tougher, nastier forwards. And that's not the case at all, but it's been all like on the defensive changes of Maine, which is, Okay, that works too. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously what they identified as, as a potential problem spot. Um, I think when they saw players getting cleared out from in front of the net, that was something that bothered them. But they felt there wasn't, you know, I, I feel like I saw that a lot in the past couple of playoffs, that there just wasn't a lot of resistance in front of the net. So I think they clearly identified that. They identified that as a problem that, could be addressed with the defense and uh, see how that works out for them. But um, I think really to me, the key and what I like about the acquisitions, I, I might not love seeing a guy like Mike Matheson go, but um, if these are the acquisitions they've targeted to make, I, I think what's positive about it is that they are players who can really play. So you're not getting you haven't decided you're going to be a bigger, heavier team and you've targeted Ryan Reeves, you know, and, and no offense to Ryan Reeves, who, who can in fact play a little, you know, but um, but not that type of player. Um, that's, that's not what I'd be looking for. So I think they have very clearly um, made a mandate to get tougher to play against, but not tougher in terms of we need someone who's going to drop the gloves when somebody bothers one of our stars. Like I, I just, I don't see the value in that. I, I just have never seen the value in that. Like most of the time when you get that person to drop the gloves because somebody's gone after one of your stars, either they're not on the ice when that happens, or if you're going to send them out on the ice to send a message next shift, like it just turns into a circus sideshow that I don't think benefits anybody like I, I don't want to see that I, I just want to see you be the type of team that it isn't easy to be pushed around on the ice so if that's what they're going for I, I think that's great exactly and as we saw when the Penguins play the Rangers the league isn't going to do anything when one of one of the opposition takes a takes out one of our players the league isn't going to do anything, so you better have somebody that's that's going to respond. Yeah, I mean, the league uh, has made it pretty clear, especially in the playoffs, that they're just going to uh, they're just going to let things go, which is you know super unfortunate, especially when they are borderline things that could lead to really significant injuries, like anything that anything that classifies as a headshot in my mind. That's that's when I kind of start to lose my mind. Like I, yeah. I just can't. I, I just 
can't accept it. I can't accept that the league allows that to go on. I don't think the solution to it is that you go back and headshot another guy, like a lot of fans call for that, you know. Um, that's the that's the first response is okay, well now we need to go do that to their star player. You know, no, <laughs> no, you don't. Like that's not let's just not do that. Let's let's get this out of the game. Like let's just get this out of the game. And I I have to tell you, I just don't have a lot of hope for that. I don't, I don't know what this, well, I know exactly what the solution is. The solution is crack down on it and, and give real penalties that, that take the incentive out of doing that. Like the Rangers not only got away with it during their series, but one could argue may have, you know, gotten a, a really big competitive advantage during their series from that. Yeah. So um, you just shake your head at it being allowed to go on. And then you hear some of the responses Gary Bettman gives to um, not just not just regarding concussions and head, head issues and headshots, but just the state of anything going on in the game. And it consistently feels like you have a commissioner that has his head in the sand, doesn't want to talk about anything potentially negative. It could be a black mark on the league. And, you know, let's just carry on. Everything's fine here. So, um if that's going to be your approach, I, I don't know what hope there is. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, in the NFL, they they tried to get rid of headshots and they made uh, it a severe penalty when you when you did have a, a shot to the head. So you, it could easily be legislated and and the players would listen if they say, oh, my goodness, if I do this, I'm going to have a severe penalty, like a, like a very long suspension or something like that. So it could happen, but they, they choose not to. <laughs> In theory, it could happen, but not under the current NHL leadership, I don't think. So, yeah, it's a real shame. It, and it's your trust, you know, it, it, it just trust from the game. And it also loses, like, I can't tell you the number of people I know who various issues surrounding the game and, and various ways they deal with things like this and some of the, you know, just, just some of the really ugly stuff that's happened in the league over the last few years, like the stuff that came out in Chicago. And I, I, it's just, this, this kind of stuff loses fans for you. Like people walk away. There are people that are just like, you know, I love the sport, but I can't watch this anymore. So, I mean, you're, you're doing yourself a complete disservice and, and you're, you're getting fans that would absolutely love to support your game walking away. Uh, it's really, it's a shame. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame them for, for being disillusioned. Uh, one more thing. So mm -hmm. as it stands right now, it looks like it's still going to be Dumoulin along with Latang. Are we just crossing our fingers and hoping <laughs> that he gets better because he did not have a good uh, season last season? I guess that's what we are doing. Um, you know, I, I definitely look at that um, left side and think, okay, maybe it's Dumoulin who goes, maybe it's Pedersen who goes, like could in theory be either of those that you look at dealing. Um, but, you know, I know the Penguins probably feel some degree of loyalty to, to Dumoulin and this is the last year of his deal they're heading into. So maybe they feel like they're just going to ride that out and see how it goes. Uh, he is obviously has been Latang's preferred defensive partner for a long time. I don't know if you want Latang to have a, a new defensive partner on, you know, this, this first year of his new deal and just... I, I just don't know that you want to upset the situation at this point, but um, 
it, it did concern me how he looked last year. He doesn't look like the same player. He looks like a player who has absolutely lost a step based on his injuries. And I, I have a lot of concerns there. So I don't know. There, there's part of me that wonders if there is a team that would be willing to go in on him in the last year of his deal, knowing they only have one year to commit to and based on his name and his reputation that they'd be willing to, uh, you know, take a shot on him and and probably pay a fair amount for him in terms of uh, what they'd be willing to send the Penguins way in return. So uh, he's definitely a player I I haven't, uh, haven't given up on the possibility the Penguins might consider making a move there. Um, But really, uh, I mean, in a fairy tale story, you would love to see him make the bounce back with with Pittsburgh after the years he's had here. I just uh, don't know that I feel great about it after watching him last year. He would fetch something in return just based on the fact that he's two time Stanley Cup champion Brian Dumoulin, which and, is and that he's weird. known as absolutely true, and also because he's known as one of the best defensive defensemen out there. I, I think he still carries that reputation. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know that he is that player at this point, but um, if if somebody out there feels that's what he is based on his reputation and wants to uh, wants to send a nice package to the Penguins way, I, if I were Ron Hextall, I would be all ears on that one. All right. Well, let's see if this is, let's see if we're going to be entering the quiet period in, in hockey or if, if Hextall is going to uh, be possessed by Jim Rutherford again and start making deals. Uh, hopefully if he makes some, it's uh, to address that bottom six. Cause there's a, uh, I, I still feel like there's a lot of concern there. I don't know. I agree. <laughs> I agree. All right. Hey, thanks so much. Great talking to you. All right. I'll see you. Thank you. Bye.